0: Please be seated. If you've been with us at Grace Covenant during the summer, you know that our study this summer has largely been a summer in the Psalms, where various Psalms are considered in our service each week. If you've been with us more than a couple of times, you also notice that something that we don't normally do, at least not as often, is we've had a number of guests who have come who have participated in that study in the Psalms. And we have been blessed to do that this summer as just kind of the rhythm has, has changed up. And it has been, uh, we, we've been blessed in a number of ways. We continue this morning in our summer in the Psalms uh, and with uh, a guest, John Gibson, whose camper uh, had mentioned earlier is a minister in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Uh, he was part of a church planting team in Hanover, Virginia. With that church having been established, he is now moving to Ashland, Virginia, where he is launching the branch John told me this morning, I'm sure he'll elaborate a little bit, they have their first soft service. In other words, it's not their opening, but they're worshiping together tonight for the first time. And so we have the benefit of having him here in the morning. We're his warm-up. And yet, as John will also share with you, uh, he has connections with this church. So many of the people that we've had have been part of our church, who have been people who have gone out from our church. And John didn't go out from our church, uh, and yet he is still part of our extended family. So John, if you come, share with us about your work and bring us the word. God would have you to speak to us. It's a blessing to be
1: here uh, with you all this morning. It's good to see familiar faces too. Um, As Dennis and Camper both mentioned, um, I have connections here to Grace. My aunt and uncle are in the third row. So, and the nice thing is they come here every week. So, It's not like they're just here to see me. But um, my parents moved uh, to Williamsburg back in uh, November of 2010. Uh, A couple months after that, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and then went through treatments and finally succumbed to the disease in July of 2011. And then my dad lasted a little bit longer. um, And in in, uh, April of 2013, he passed away. So it's kind of a a bittersweet situation. to come to Williamsburg every time. And I know, again, looking at faces out there, I know there are many of you who had connections to my parents. Um, And what a blessing uh, grace in the community here was to my family uh, through that time. Um, I've told people, in fact, Camper and I just talked earlier, and I said, if it had not been for the body of Christ, if it had not been for the community uh, of the church, um, I don't know where I would have been through that grief and difficulty in life. Um, and yet God is sovereign. He sits on his throne and continues uh, to orchestrate our lives in such a way that uh, we see him moving in that. And so uh, what a blessing it is to be here. Um, you know, uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid. If any of you met my dad, um, you knew that he had retired being a pastor and and pastors' kids who become pastors are not always the norm. Um, they don't always you know, walk the straight and narrow. So um, it's kind of a, an enigma in some ways. Again, it's speaking to God's grace that um, that uh, I've followed in the path of my dad. But uh, my wife married an engineer. I had uh, two degrees in engineering before God really called me in the full-time ministry. And then because I don't like to do anything for too long, I guess that was when God really called me into church planting as well. Um, And some of you were here, I guess, a couple weeks ago when my cousin-in-law, Rob, um, was here. And so you might think, like, there's something in our family or something that we're eating or drinking that makes us all church planters. But but that's not the case. Um, We're just following God's call. Um, We've uh, been in the Richmond area for about 12 years. And um, started out in a a church of another denomination. Felt like we couldn't stay with that denomination uh, because of some theological differences. And and started another church there about six years ago. Um, And the vision at that time when we started that church was always uh, to spread out and to continue to see God's work go from that place. And we had identified locations even then of where God might eventually move us. And so over the years, we've uh, been close to the Ashland area, we've we've um, ministered in the Ashland area, and we found that one of the best ways to really minister is to have feet on the ground in the area. You know, our God realized that one of the best ways to communicate with His, his children was to incarnate and to come and and put on flesh and to come into this world. And in many ways, that's what he calls us to, is to incarnational ministry uh, by being on the ground in the areas that he's called us to minister to. And so about a year, year and a half ago, uh, God really started um, putting a restlessness within my wife, Carrie, and I. And we kept asking, you know, what is it, what, what is it you're calling us? And the more and more we looked, uh, the more and more we kept seeing and hearing that God was calling us to be where we are, but to be more intentional, specifically in the Ashland area, uh, to minister and to start a church. We started conversations with the lead pastor at the church we were at, uh, started conversations within our denomination. And... um, all of us were surprised that God continued to open the doors. Uh, and so last September, I, I started uh, to look more full-time at ministering in, Ashton, in the Ashland area. And God's opened up countless opportunities within those last nine months. Uh, and we're going at it by faith, um, saying, Do God, open, bring the right people that we need. Uh, as Dennis mentioned before, we have a team of, of six families that have come from our sending church. Um, we've been supported by sister churches in our denomination, as well as our denomination, um, and then family and friends who are always so uh, gracious when they receive letters from us for, uh, for funding and, and support. Um, but we're always looking for additional people to join us uh, in the ministry and partnership not only financially, but prayerfully. Uh, after the service, we, I have a table out there with, with prayer cards with, with our family on it, um, just as a reminder for people uh, to be praying. That's one of the things that uh, my wife and I have said from the beginning. Uh, Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. And we are confident that we cannot build this church on our own. It is only through God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that this can happen. And so, i um, love to talk to you afterwards about uh, more about the branch and what God is doing. Um, and if nothing else, I would covet your prayers uh, as we enter into this journey uh, to see how God is going to reach people and bring the lost to himself um, through this opportunity for us. You know, I um, have struggled with fear of heights since I was a kid. And it's not a paralyzing fear of heights, but it's one of those fears that maybe you've done the same thing where you've tried to overcome a fear and you somehow think that if you subject yourself to it, it's almost like an inoculation, you know, that you can uh, undo that fear. And so when I was in college... Um, there was a group of Army ROTC uh, guys who were on the top of a building, and they were rappelling off that building. And I thought to myself, "Hey, I'm afraid of heights. I-, I-, I can just go up there and and jump off the side of the building. Maybe it'll cure me of of this fear of heights." Well, you know, thankfully I didn't have a heart attack or get hurt, um, and you know, there were no mishaps. Um, and Even as I talk about it, though, my hands are sweating. Because my fear of heights, it didn't go away. It didn't disperse. But you know, sometimes in our lives, we look at a problem, we look at a fear especially, and we think that somehow, in our own strength, in our own power, we can overcome that that fear. But in reality, only God can help us to overcome those things. Only God can give us the power that we need to be able to walk through a situation where we're fearful. And there's probably not anybody else in Scripture other than David who knows that as well. To know that in the midst of fear, in the midst of difficulty, by himself, he couldn't enter into that and and overcome that. But through God, he could overcome his fear. So if you have Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 27, as we read God's Word this morning, starting in verse 1 of Psalm 27. David wrote this, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble He'll keep me safe in His dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. My head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At His sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek His face. Your face, Lord, I will see. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. This is the Word of the Lord. Not sure of the context in which David wrote this. As we read through the life of David in the Old Testament, we can see countless opportunities for David to have written this whether it was being pursued by his enemy Saul, whether it was being pursued even by his son who was trying to kill him at times. What, whatever the context, David, did he feel hopeless? Did he feel helpless when he wrote this? David knew what it was like to have people pursuing him, seeking to kill him. Hopefully that's not something any of us can relate to. But the idea of anxiety and fear is probably something that all of us can relate to in some way. As David lays out this psalm, he starts as an introduction in verse 1, just calling out God for who He is. Saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And he asked the question, whom shall I fear? He said, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? But David does something else throughout this psalm that I think it's important for us to see and emulate. He he names his fear. And we see this in verses 2 and 3. The wicked... They come against Him to devour Him. His enemies, His foes are seeking for Him to stumble and fall. An army besieges Him. War breaks out against Him. He calls out over and over the wicked, the enemies, the foes, all the things that He's afraid of. I think it's important for us when we come to that place in life where we're feeling fearful, To name out those fears. To call them out. What are they? When we call it out, when we name it, it's almost like the mystery of it. The intrigue of it. It all goes away. But when they remain unnamed for us, they can fester. They can grow within us, becoming bigger than they actually are. I saw this in my mom's life when, when she was diagnosed with cancer. Everyone calls it the big C. And, you know, for the longest time after her diagnosis, I didn't want to say the word because I was so afraid of it and, and the things that it did inside me. And yet, if I wasn't naming it to myself, to other people, and most importantly to God, it was going to overtake me. It was going to overwhelm me. And it was going to fester and grow within me. God wants us to name those fears specifically to Him. When we come before Him in prayer, when we come before Him asking Him for protection, He wants to hear us say, these are the things, God, that I'm afraid of. When we name our fears they shrink before God. And David names other things that he fears as well. In verses 9 through 12 we see it. He's afraid of rejection. He's afraid of being forsaken even by his parents, but especially by God. He doesn't want to be rejected by God. And so what is it that we fear? What are the things that keep us up at night? What are the things that cause anxiety in us? And have we really spoken those to God? In our communion with God, in our time of prayer with God, are we going before Him and explicitly saying, God, I am afraid of this. Take this from me. Pastor and author Warren Wiersbe, he wrote this, he said, David didn't close his eyes to the circumstances around him. Rather, he looked by faith to the Lord and examined his circumstances from heaven's point of view. I love that phrase. He examined his circumstances from heaven's point of view. Because often when we come to times in in our lives, at least my own life, when I've come to places of fear, it's easy to examine that fear from my human eyes. And yet God calls us to look at those circumstances through the eyes of faith and to see our circumstances from a heavenly point of view. Despite what some people might preach, following Jesus does not constitute a life that's trouble-free. In fact, sometimes when we commit ourselves to following, when we hear the call of God on our lives to follow Him, that can often bring additional troubles into our lives, additional strife into our lives. David was honest about his circumstances. He spoke those circumstances He wasn't trying to make them flowery or pretend that they weren't there. He was honest about them. But he didn't focus on them solely through his own eyes. He looked through the eyes of faith. He looked through the eyes that God alone had given him. But David also did something else, and we see this in verse 5, where he says, For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling." He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. And David, not only naming his fears, but he also is seeking to dwell in the house of the Lord. He's seeking to be in the presence of God. In David's day, when in the culture where David was used to, Dwelling in somebody's house meant that the moment that you step into their door is the moment that they're saying to you, whether explicitly or implicitly, you're safe here. I'm protecting you here. You don't have to be afraid here. And so David, knowing that, that people, his peers, other people around him, as they invited them in to... invited Him into their dwelling, that they were saying that to Him, how much more, how much greater of a confidence would He have in entering into the house of the Lord and being protected there and being safe there and having His feet placed high on the rock. Not only entering into God's house, this isn't like God saying, hey, I'm on vacation come to my house and hang out there. God's saying, I want you to come and dwell with me while I'm there. God is there, and David not only wants to be in the house of the Lord, he wants to be in the house of the Lord in the presence of the Lord. And as he does that, as he enters into the house of the Lord, and the Lord is present with him there, those fears, they all are dispelled. Not because of some magical antidote or remedy, but because in the presence of God, everything looks small. And David understood that there, in the presence of the Lord, those fears that had once loomed large in his vision, all of a sudden they faded away and they became small in the presence of Because our God, as we sang earlier, how great is our God! And in the presence of God, things that might have looked big before all of a sudden turn small. Our fears can fade away. David seeks the presence of God. He seeks to be in his house But David also chooses to worship in the face of fear. In verse 6, David writes, My head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I'll sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. I don't know about you, but in the face of fear, my automatic default response is not generally to sing or to worship. And yet, not only here in in David's psalm, but also as we read through the New Testament and we see Jesus' followers, Paul, in prison, and he sings. And he lifts up shouts of joy to God in the midst of a potentially fearful situation. When's the last time that you faced fear with songs of joy? When's the last time that I faced fear with songs of joy? And yet David knew the importance of this. Seeking the dwelling of God, seeking the presence of God, and then giving the worship to God in the midst of it. You see, when we encounter fear and trouble, it's almost inevitable that we become what I call a navel gazer. And we start looking down and looking at ourselves. Having a pity party of one and saying, woe is me. But when we start to worship God, it takes our eyes off of ourselves and it puts it on Him. It puts our eyes on Him who's greater than our fear, who's bigger than that, and in whose presence fear is dispelled. David continues on, and as he closes this psalm, verses 13 and 14, he says, I remain confident of this. I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I'm not always a big fan of 64 in the summer either because it usually involves waiting. My son and I took a train ride from Connecticut to Ashland on Monday and it was two hours late, which meant waiting. I don't like to do... It's hard for me to wait. And yet, David understood that in the waiting, the best place to wait is in the presence of God. The best thing to do in the waiting is to worship God. David's confident that he'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the original language here, it's this idea of believing in the goodness of God. Believing and trusting in God's goodness. That God is who He says He is. That the promises that we have in Scripture are true. And that He will be faithful to those promises. And David is confident that he will see the goodness of God of the Lord in the land of the living. But David doesn't necessarily say that he'll be trouble-free. He doesn't say that while he is alive, he'll never encounter difficulty. He says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do we see God's promises even in the midst of difficulty? even in the midst of fear, even in the midst of anxiety and trouble. It doesn't mean that trouble and fear and anxiety just go away or they never touch us. It means that even in those things, we see God be faithful to the promises He has made us. That is the goodness of the Lord. Seeing that the One who created us, the One who loves us, the One who calls us to Himself is faithful to what He said. doesn't mean God will take away our troubles. Is that our experience? In troubles, in difficulties, in fear, do we still see the goodness of the Lord? And if we don't, The question I have for you, for me, as well, is, am I looking? In the midst of fear, in the midst of anxiety and difficulty, if we're looking at ourselves, we'll have a hard time seeing the goodness of the Lord. But when our eyes change, and we begin to see Him in the midst of that, then we can see His goodness we can see that His promises are true. It doesn't necessarily make our pain any less real. But it gives us confidence that He is who He says He is. That He is faithful and that He is with us. There's always going to be a tension in this life. Theologians talk about it as the now and the not yet. As we experience what is happening now, we also wait for something else beyond what we're experiencing now, knowing that what we're experiencing has been tainted by sin and that it's broken and it's not what God originally intended. But we hope for a future deliverance that God promises to us. The now and the not yet. We remain confident. We continue to believe. And we see these little glimpses of God's goodness in the midst of our difficulties and know that one day it will be more than a glimpse. Now we see in part, but then we will see the whole. In the midst of fear and anxiety and difficulties, we're not diminishing what happens to us and what we experience in that, but we also know that God is bigger and that He's got something greater and better in the future for us. Warren Weir'sby also wrote, the secret of David's public confidence was his private obedience. And so when we face fear, when we face difficulty, in order to overcome it, are we trying... To muster up that strength ourselves? Or are we communing with God? Are we spending time with God and saying, It is in you, Father, that my confidence comes? It's in you that fears can be dispelled. And so how much time are we spending with God? Are we seeking to know Him more and allowing what we know of Him and His promises to propel us through those difficulties. Because as we know Him more, we will see that He's bigger than our fears. And so this week, out of this place, as you spend time with God, in communion with Him, name your fears to Him. Call them out. But seek His presence. And let those fears fall away in the bigness of God. In the greatness of God. And may we know that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and beyond. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your servant David and speaking through him Father, may we seek You in the midst of our fear, knowing that Your presence can dispel that fear. May we worship You. May we trust You and know that Your promises are true and You are faithful to those promises. We thank You in Christ's name.